30th. On the 30th, we will not be selling donuts or coffee, but every day in October, we will be selling donuts and coffee, donations only. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Nicholas. So this Sunday and the next two Sundays, all right, they are doing a coffee and donut sale in the kitchen right here in the church, and they're raising money for their accelerant trip. So if you get here a little bit early or even not early, if you want a cup of coffee and a donut, please go see them, the youth group in the kitchen, as they are raising money for our accelerant trip, which is coming up in January. And I cannot believe it is almost January. Y'all, where did 2022 go? I don't really know where 2022 went. So um, let's pray together real quick. I'm going to share something on my heart, and then we are going to get into week three of our series. Would you please stand with me one more time? as we pray together this morning. And as is our custom here, if you are willing to raise your hands to heaven to receive what the Father has for us today. And Holy Father, we just thank you for this day. <laughs> we thank you that Jesus came to cease the striving because all things have been made new in Jesus. There's no more striving, but now there's rest. The second Adam came to restore what the first Adam had destroyed, and now all things are made new in Jesus. And so, Jesus, today, I just pray we feel your presence so much deeper than we ever have before. Because we don't, we don't get deeper in your presence. Your presence is already inside of us. Now we just grow in our awareness of how near you are to us. And so, today, I just pray that we have a revelation of your nearness in our being that you reside inside of us, that we can rest because you've already completed the work. So Jesus, we just thank you for this day to gather. We thank you that you kept us safe during the storm. We pray over those in Florida who have lost homes, lost property, whatever it may be. And Father, we just pray you restore them in mind, body, and spirit. And Father, we just thank you once again for this day. You are our good, good Father who's given us the good, good news of Jesus Christ. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. Um, I'm going to be real and honest with you guys real quick. And I just want to share something the Holy Spirit uh, has been giving me deeper revelation on. And he told me to share with you guys. Has anyone in here ever experienced something called burnout? Everybody's like, oh, yes, Lord. Miss Shannon's like, yes, Lord. <laughs> Listen, y'all, I have been experiencing some burnout, okay? I've been tired, um, striving way more than I need to be striving. I've been tired and Holy Spirit has brought something to my understanding and deeper revelation. And this is it. You ready? When Adam was created, when God created Adam in the garden, he creates Adam and the very next day God rests. Adam was created in a posture of rest because he knew that his father had already done the work. We as humans were actually not created to strive. We were created to rest in the presence of our father. Adam and Eve fall, and so there goes the rest out the window. But Paul tells us in Romans 5, Paul tells us this, that the second Adam, Jesus Christ, has come to restore all things that the first Adam destroyed. And now Jesus says stuff like this. He says, come to me, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who carry a heavy burden. Why? Because his yoke is easy, and he says, I bring rest. Jesus was talking to those who were striving under the law to be good enough for God. 
And I, as a young pastor, find myself falling into cycles sometimes where I just want to be good enough for God. But the beauty of the gospel is this. In Jesus, you don't earn blessings. Blessings have already been poured out. In Jesus, you don't earn favor from God by not sinning. His favor is already upon you. You're not forgiven by behaving the right way. You're already forgiven because of what Jesus did. And that's the difference between striving and resting. Because of what Jesus has done, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he really, really, really meant it is finished. Jesus did not say, I've completed 75% of the work, now you carry it on. No, Jesus said, I have restored all things to my Father. So for those of us like me who've been experiencing some burnout... There comes the point where Jesus is just going to say, hey, rest. For those of us who've been Christians for a long time, <laughs> those of us who've been raised in religion to see church a certain way, I feel like Jesus is restoring that mindset of rest. <laughs> Don't got to look a certain way. Don't got to talk a certain way. Today is week three in our series called Love is a Verb. Are we online right now, Nicholas? Are we live? Awesome. Um, if you have your phone with you and you have the Facebook app, go ahead and share the live video for today. Hashtag love is a verb. You guys have been doing so good when it comes to sharing. But first off, I want everyone in-house to say good morning to everyone online. Good morning. One more time. Good morning, everybody online. It is great to have you guys. We have some people in other states, y'all, who consider themselves members here, and they literally won't go to another church. <laughs> they just watch online. So we're honored to have you guys with us, and we are thankful for your faithfulness. Uh, this is week three. Today is entitled A Better Question. A Better Question. The Apostle John, who we all know as John, right, the disciple whom Jesus loved, Wow, that's a great title. Y'all, what that tells me about John is John knew what his identity was. For me, that tells me that John knew. Some people are like, oh, John is so arrogant. Oh, he thinks Jesus. No, he knew who he was in Jesus. And he was confident in the love of Christ. And so technically, uh, Miss Wanda, you could say Wanda, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. Mr. Brian. Brian, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. C.E. Chavis, the disciple in whom Jesus loved. We can all carry the title when we are confident in the identity he's given us. And so John writes the very unique gospel, the gospel of John. It's his perspective of the good news of Jesus Christ. But he also wrote three other books that have survived all these years, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. If you are turning in your Bible with me today, our main passage is going to be 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. Um, and today, really, I'm just trying to shift our uh, thought processes a little bit. We're not going to be so much heavy in the scripture, but this is going to be our starting point for today. But unlike Paul, who we talked about last week, John saw it all. John was with Jesus from the beginning. He knew Jesus personally. He hung out with Jesus every day for three and a half years. He saw Jesus call Lazarus back from the dead. Could you imagine seeing such a thing? He saw Jesus healed blind eyes, raise up people who were lame. John saw all of this. He was also there at Golgotha. He saw Jesus die on the cross. 
Not only that, but y'all, Jesus trusted John so much that he gave John charge over his own mother. That, those brothers right there. I don't, I don't know if I trust anyone with my own mother except a brother. And so John was here for it all. He had seen it all. He had heard it all. He had experienced all. And he lived long enough to tell the tale of what he had seen. So John, who had seen love personified, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he writes this passage. And this is what we're going to read. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do the commands is a liar. Wow, John, that's, that's pretty harsh, man. Golly, bro, you ain't giving nobody no slack. And the truth is not in that person. Not only does he call them a liar, he says, bro, the truth doesn't even reside inside of you. Man, he's pretty serious about this thing right here. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Wow. Y'all, talk about a standard. John is saying you can't even claim to know Jesus if you don't look like Jesus. Ooh, John. Bro, he, he'd be making some church people mad. Lord Jesus. Verse 7. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. Okay, what's the command of Jesus Christ? Love your neighbor as yourself. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Now, what is he saying? He's not being, he's not being cryptic. He's literally saying to you Jews who have been with Jesus the whole time, this is not new to you. You already know. And he's assuming they already know. You see that? He's assuming y'all already know what Jesus said. You experienced it. You were with him. But now he says, but a new command I give you. He's not writing to Jews anymore. He's writing to Gentiles. Why? Because now in Jesus, we've all been accepted into this family. How beautiful is that? That we all people of all ethnicities, nationalities, whatever it may be, can now come together to worship the same Jesus. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Who's the true light? Jesus. Jesus came to bring light into the darkness. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Now, all of us in here can be like, oh, I'm good. I don't hate anybody, right? I'm good. I don't hate anyone. But listen, the Greek verb... For hate can also mean this, to disregard, to disrespect, to detest, or dismiss as unimportant. Whew. Oh, that standard makes me shiver. That's kind of scary right there. So listen, we hear hate. We're thinking, oh, well, I don't hate anyone. I don't want to kill anybody. But have you disregarded anyone? Have you disrespected them? Have, do you detest anyone? Or do you dismiss people as unimportant? Are they not worth your time? Are they not a certain caliber of person for you? This is why Paul is very adamant about telling people, don't just give rich people the best seats. Don't make the poor people sit on the floor. Why? Because in God, there is no partiality. There is no favoritism in the kingdom of God. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. There's no favoritism. So John is just carrying on with what Paul had told us, that you better be careful how you treat people. 
Oh, man, that standard just got real high, didn't it? Someone's getting nervous. I'm getting nervous myself. Y'all can come after me later. (laughs) Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Why? We talked about this. Loving your neighbor as yourself causes you to do no wrong to your neighbor. You will not stumble toward your neighbor if you love your neighbor. So what is John saying? Man, if you love people, you are living in the light. Just as we read last week, you are children of God. Follow in the same example, live in the light. How do you live in the light? You follow the way of love. So John is saying, man, if you are loving your brothers and sisters, and this is the crazy thing. He puts it at such a high standard. He doesn't say, listen, I need you to understand. When he wrote this, the Bible did not exist. He doesn't say, read your Bible and you will be in the light. Go to church, you will be in the light. No, he is saying, love people. Don't disregard them. Don't shoo them aside as unimportant. He's saying, love them. Last week we talked about love is always sacrificial. Do you want to know, you want to know if you're truly loving someone, what are you giving up to love them? If you only love people on your own convenient schedule, you're not actually loving them. You're tolerating them. I'm going to say it again. If you are only loving people on your own convenient schedule, you're not loving them. You are tolerating them. Oh, Lord Jesus. Verse 11. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Love illuminates the way. Love illuminates the way. According to John, according to Paul, and according to Jesus, devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by the way we treat those around us. According to John, according to Paul, two of the guys who wrote majority of the New Testament, and Jesus, the founder of our faith, your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by the way we treat those around us. The litmus test for those who claim Jesus, how well do we treat those around us? The litmus test for those who claim Jesus, right? Because what did John just say? John said, if you claim him and don't live like him, you're a liar. Yo, that's hard. That's hard for me to handle. Why? Because I don't always love people well. Why? Because sometimes I really try to love people in my flesh. How many of us know what it's like to try to love someone out of your flesh? That, that kind comment turns into a real rude one real quick, okay? Only through his spirit, who literally a fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Everybody is somebody whom Jesus died for. Everybody is somebody who God loves. Everybody is somebody who Jesus died for. You cannot find one person on this planet that Jesus did not die for. And you cannot find one person on this planet who God does not love. Pause and think about that. This same John who wrote that passage also says in 1 John 4, 8 and 1 John 4, 16, he, he coined this, okay? This had never been said before. No one was ever going around saying God is. Everyone was saying God does, God has, okay? God has this, God does this. John comes up and he says God is love. 
the God I know, the God Jesus came from, is not the God who is wrath. It's not the God who is anger. It's not the God who is condemnation and punishment. No, the God who I know, the God who is, is the God of love. And that God who is love, loves everyone on this planet. To celebrate God's love for me while withholding my love for the person next to me, whom he loves just as much as me, is the epitome of hypocrisy. To celebrate God's love for me while withholding my love for the person next to me, whom he loves as much as me, is the epitome of hypocrisy. John's version says this, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And today we will be looking at the all-encompassing question, the question that helps us navigate this life, helps us navigate the way of love, to love those around us better. Today we are going to be looking at a better question. We as Christians often find ourselves asking this question right here. Is blank a sin? And that's usually the main question we find ourselves as Christians asking, is blank a sin? Fill in the gap. Whatever you're facing in life, whatever the relationship structures you're going through, whatever it may be in your workplace, in your home, with your friends, the question usually is when we're trying to find out how to live this Christian life, because y'all, sometimes it's not so clear. Sometimes there's gray area in this life where you go through a situation that the Bible just does not talk about. And you find yourself in a situation looking for answers. And so you start asking yourself, well, is this a sin? And if we're all being honest, we're all usually tempted to try to get as close to the line as possible. (laughs) Someone makes you mad. You're like, well, is this really a sin? Let me see how close I can get to it. Can I yell at them without cussing? And maybe that's not a sin. And so what happens is we start start adding in all these exceptions to the rule. Anyone else here guilty besides myself? I'm going to do, I'm just mad, y'all. Y'all, listen, the Holy Spirit's still working on me. I got a temper. Sometimes I just get mad, okay? Sometimes I get real mad. And sometimes I have to pause and think, who, Jesus, is this a sin? Because sometimes I just want to, I just want to lay down on somebody. But the fact of the matter is we're all tempted that way. We're all tempted to get as close to the boundary line as possible. But I'm going to tell you that that's not the question you need to be asking yourself as a believer. There's a much better question This question takes us to the heart of Jesus' New Testament command. It's the standard by which we are to evaluate our behavior, our conversations, and our attitudes. It should serve as our guide as we navigate the complexities of our cultural context. Do y'all understand the Bible when it was written, when all the books were combined? Y'all, that was 1,700 years ago. A lot changes in 1,700 years. So now this question, right, because we as Christians, well, the Bible says yes, but the new covenant and the old covenant aren't even the same level of authority. So we can't even just say, well, the whole Bible says, y'all, if that's the case, y'all, we got to go around like killing witches and stuff. Like, y'all, crazy stuff. Old Testament says we won't even suffer a witch to live. Hold up. I ain't in the new covenant. You know, Jesus says thou shalt not murder. And even if you look at someone with anger, you've committed murder in your heart. So we can't just put it at all the same level and authority. It's not the same anymore. And so for us to navigate the cultural context in which we live, there's got to be a better question. There's got to be a question. This question should rule the way our marriages function, the way we parent our children, the way we work and how we work with others. And this is the question. What does love 
require of me? It's the all-encompassing question that helps us navigate this life. It gives voice to the new covenant on issues where our new covenant is silent. Do you know there's not an answer for every single thing in the New Testament that is written? Why? Because Paul did not write a letter to Crossroads in 2022. Paul wrote letters to to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, to the Corinthians, to the Romans 2,000 years ago. So now when we're navigating this life, and this is what I love about it, this question It squashes the constant justification, but the Bible doesn't say there's anything wrong with this. How many of us have been there? Y'all, I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was in my same lifestyles. I was just learning what it meant to really follow Jesus. And y'all, I was looking for loopholes anywhere I could find loopholes. Well, the Bible doesn't really say that. Well, the Bible doesn't say this. And so I would find myself not looking for what scripture truly meant, but I was looking for loopholes to do what I wanted to do. (laughs) And this question, what it also does is it exposes my hypocrisy. I need you to understand this because when I'm looking at the scripture to try to justify what I'm doing, I'm not actually looking to live by the command of Jesus. I'm looking to live by the command of Josiah. So what this question does is it starts to expose my hypocrisy in myself. Well, why am I really searching the scriptures for this? Is it because I want to please him or because I want to please myself? It stands as judge and jury. Why? Because it sets the standard and it maintains the standard. Listen, God is no longer judging you for your sins. Jesus already cleared that. So God's not looking saying, how dare you do it? No, 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 no. Now this question that we navigate our life with now stands as judge and jury. It's so simple, but it's so demanding. I need you to hear this. It's so simple, but it's so demanding. And listen, New Covenant people, we don't ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible say about this? Why? Because now we begin with a much better question. What does God's love for me require of me? I need you to hear this. Why? Because for the first, golly, 300 years of the church, there was no Bible. So how did did believers live this Christian life? before the canonized Bible was ever put together for us to walk by? What was the question they asked themselves? The question was this, what does God's love for me that he has shown through his son Jesus now require of me? What what changes in me through the love of the Father? And this is something I've started to ask myself. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. When unsure of what to say or do, ask what love requires of you. Yo, there's a lot of gray area in this life. There's a lot of nuance in this life. And if we try to live in just the black and white, we're going to miss it completely. And so when we're in those gray areas where things are not clear, where we don't seem to have direction, I'm telling you, you cannot go wrong when you hold yourself to this. When unsure of what to say or do, Ask what love requires of you. So I want to, t- I want to tell a story. Um, this is very historically accurate. You can look this up if you want to. In the first century, when Christianity had just been born, Christians in the Roman Empire started to do something that they did not have written in their Bible, but they knew it's what love required of them. Okay? Children, babies were killed openly in Rome, especially baby girls. And so if it wasn't a male, y'all, there's crazy. You can read letters from Roman generals writing home to their wife. If it's a girl, just throw it outside to the dogs. Like, 
crazy stuff, y'all. They killed children like nobody's business in Rome. And actually, each household was only allowed two children. And usually, they did not want the females unless they were giving the females away for the sex trade. And so listen to this. In the first century, something crazy starts happening, an enigma. Christians start taking the babies. I'm talking Christians were adopting seven, eight babies at a time, keeping babies, taking, raising the babies in the Christian faith. Now, listen, why did they do this? No, nowhere in the Bible did it tell them to do that. They didn't even have a Bible. But in their cultural context, they knew what love required of them. They knew what the faith was calling them to do. And in a time period where you weren't allowed to have more than two children and vast majority of Christians were dirt poor, they were adopting seven to eight children. Not because they read the Bible. They didn't even have the Bible. But what did they know in their cultural context? They took a stand and they said, we know what love requires of us. So this question has governed the Christian faith up until about a thousand years ago. This question, why? Because y'all, up until about a thousand, actually 500 years ago, the vast majority of people could not read. It didn't matter if you handed them a Bible. It didn't matter if you gave them the Holy Scriptures. They couldn't read it in the first place. So how were they navigating their lives? They were asking themselves, because of the love of God shown to me through Jesus Christ, because of the cross on Calvary and where Jesus died for me, what does this miraculous love now ask of me? It's been the navigating question for Christians for over a thousand years. And we ask ourselves, how do we know what love requires of us? Well, the new covenant imperatives we talked about last week are literally the example of what love requires of you. Let me remind you of what these are. The imperatives, submit to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, restore one another, accept one another, care for one another, bear with one another, carry each other's burdens. How many of us know none of those things are easy? But love requires all of those things from us. None of these things are easy. Do you know how hard it is to restore someone who does not want to be restored? Do you know how hard it is to bear with someone who keeps going back into the same toxic cycles? But guess what? Love does not require you to give up. Love requires you to persevere. This is what love requires. This is what love asks of us. But not only are we given this better question, we're given a better why. We're given a better why. Jesus' new command obligates us to wrestle with this new and better question. When Jesus says, love one another, but not only love one another, he even says this, no greater love than this, that one laid down his life for his brother. So this command causes us to wrestle with this. And if we're not wrestling with this, then there's a problem. It causes us to wrestle with this, but it also does something else. His new command provides us with a new and better answer to the old question, the old question of why. Why obey? Why submit? Why surrender? Well, under the old covenant, you obeyed to receive blessings. They obeyed to be protected and prospered. Obedience brought blessing. Disobedience would result in punishment. So with that paradigm of the old covenant in mind, let's look at a very well-known old covenant command that 
oh my gosh, been used over me because I was, I was bad. You ready? Honor your father and your mother. Why? It tells us why. So that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. But pause. Honoring your mom and dad under the old covenant wasn't really to benefit your mom and dad. It was about securing your own prosperity. God tells you, okay, you are going to live a long time in this land. Okay, first off, God hasn't given me any land, so I know that promise isn't even for me. I don't got a whole plot of land. Y'all live in an apartment. I don't own no land. Okay, pause. Anyways, that's old covenant. And so that didn't benefit anyone. That benefited the person who obeyed the command. Did the parents reap some benefit? Sure. But it wasn't like the child was doing it out of love. They were doing it out of what? Fear. (laughs) They didn't want to be punished, and they knew they would have blessings if they did such a thing. And one thing I've noticed, one of the most devastating consequences of us constantly mixing and matching old with new in church is this right here. We invariably mix and match old covenant and new covenant wise. We're always mixed and matching old covenant and new covenant wise. Y'all, this is why passages like this, if you humble yourself and submit and repent, your land will be healed. Y'all, that's not for us in America. That was for the Israelites thousands of years ago. That has nothing to do with us. Why? Because we don't live. Y'all, I'm sorry, but y'all, Christians always quoting Old Testament kind of makes me cringe because those promises are not for you. There are better promises waiting for you. We live in a new and better covenant, not based upon old promises. Why? Because America is not God's land. The whole earth is God's land. So if anything, we got to stop saying, well, this is for America. No, we should say that's for the whole world. Because of what Jesus came and did, now the whole world can live in freedom and wholeness. <laughs> Jesus' followers aren't instructed to obey in order to gain something from God. Listen, Jesus' followers aren't instructed to obey in order to gain something from God. We obey in light of what we've already been given. I'm going to say this again. For those of you who think we can earn blessings and favor from God, we, Jesus followers, are not commanded to obey for us to receive something. Why? Because God freely pours out good gifts to his children. We now obey in light of what we've already been given. But you can't obey in light of what you've already been given if you don't even understand what you've been given. There is something called sozo salvation, okay? The word for salvation is sozo, and it's immediate, and it means this. In Jesus Christ, there is freedom, there is wholeness, there is healing, and there is deliverance right here, right now. I don't obey of what I hope to receive one day. I obey because I know what's already been poured out freely on me as a son of God. So our, we can't mix up our whys. Why? Because when you only obey according to the old covenant standard, you're not obeying for his sake or their sake. You're obeying for your sake. And if there's anything Jesus came to do, he came to shift our understanding of what it meant to be a child of God. We new covenant people, we don't honor our fathers and mothers so we can live long in the land. We don't. That's not why we honor our mothers and our fathers. So why should we, Jesus followers, Ready? Honor our mothers and fathers. Why? The new covenant why is always this. That's what love requires of me because that's what's best for them. You don't obey to receive. You obey in order to give. Your why in the new covenant is never for you to receive. I honor my mother and father 
Not because I'm scared of them. Not because I think God's going to smite me. If I, y'all, listen, if God was going to smite me down for disrespecting my parents, I would have been dead when I was 15. <laughs> I'm still here, bro. <laughs> I'm, I'm staying strong. That, that, is not, that is not why. The why is always this. That's what love requires of me because that's what's best for them. Your parents, if you are a good child, your parents have a pretty restful life. If you're a bad child like I was, your parents are stressed out all the time. So when you disobey, you're definitely not doing what's best for them. Our whys are different. This is why Hebrews tells us, stop mixing old with new because you've been given something better through Jesus. Jesus did not come on to add on to the old covenant. He came to create something completely new. So our whys cannot remain the same. Why? Because if your why remains the same, you're going to continue to do the same thing you have always done. No transformation comes when your why is about you. New covenant obedience is always connected to a who, and often it's the who beside you. Obedience in the new covenant is always connected to a who, and often it's the who beside you. I'm a poet, and y'all didn't even know it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> Listen, the old covenant, why, was centered around doing right by God. But listen, the new covenant, why, isn't centered by doing right by God. Why? Because they were earning their justification with God. Jesus came to be our justification with God. You can't make yourself right with God. Nor should you try to make yourself right with God because Jesus finished the complete work upon the cross. And so now our why isn't even doing right by God. It's like, oh, well, I got to go to church to do right by God. No, you should come to church to love the who beside you. I was talking to Brian last week after church. The whole point of church gatherings aren't so you're doing right by God. You can never come to church another day in your life and be right by God. Your justification is not accredited to your church attendance. Some of y'all be like, oh gosh, this guy crazy. Anyways, now when we come together, you know what our first, our first instinct should be? Hey, let me go talk to somebody I ain't talked to before. Let me go introduce myself. Let me go say good morning. Maybe while the youth's doing this donut fundraiser, maybe we go give extra money and give donuts out to people in the church. I don't know. Sometimes love just looks like giving somebody a Krispy Kreme donut. I mean, God, if one of y'all walked up to me and handed me a Krispy Kreme donut, I'd feel pretty loved. I don't know about y'all. I'd be having a good day if someone walked up and said, hey, bro, here's a hot Krispy Kreme donut. That would probably make my week. I'm just saying. Hmm. So why, why is lying a sin? Now, remember, sin in the new covenant and old covenant are not the same. Because in the new covenant, you miss the mark. You just recalibrate and shoot again. In the old covenant, you miss the mark. You better get on your knees. You better take a goat to the altar, boy. You better sacrifice something quick. It's not the same. Why? Because Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for your sins. Now you miss and you recalibrate. So why, when, when we miss the mark by lying, why is that missing the mark? What's the big deal about gossiping? Why do Christians, right, why do we think uh, it's wrong to have consensual sex before marriage? Why? Why are these things wrong in the eyes of someone who follows Jesus? Well, we talked about last week, all of these things take away honor, they take away value and worth, and they break relationships. All these things. All these things go hand in hand to take away honor, value, 
worth and break relationships. What's true for lying holds true for gossiping, adultery, stealing, and premarital sex as well. And this is it right here. It's sin because it harms people made in the image of God for whom Christ died. It's, y'all, it's simple as this. It's simple as this. It's sin, you ready? Because it harms people made in the image of God for whom Christ died. Some of y'all have got to stop repenting to God and go repent to your neighbor. This, this is the message Jesus brought when he said, no, if someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. God's good. He, he's good, bro. He's got you. Now you go and repent to the person beside you. Mm. So some of us got to stop. God, forgive me for something I did 30 years ago. Just go apologize to the person you did it to. Do you know how easy it is to contact people on Facebook? Bro, hop on Facebook, write a nice apology letter, send it to them. The way they respond is up to them. But now your conscience is cleared and you can move on from toxic cycles that happened 30 years ago. This is the shift. This is what happens when we stop being solely vertical and our understanding is now horizontal. Because oftentimes it's not your conscience that it's you, you against God. You may think it's you against God, but because your understanding is flawed. No, it's because you never apologized to that person you harmed back in college. Right. Y'all, I'm gonna, this is crazy. When I got saved, I, I was 21 when the Holy Spirit gave this to me. Y'all, I was a mean guy. I, every girl I ever dated, I cheated on. And every girl I ever dated, I did stuff with. Y'all, I was, I was a womanizer. I was nasty. I was mean. I would fight you in the drop of a hat. It did not matter. When Holy Spirit saved me, when I was turning 19 years old, it took me two years to fully understand what this following Jesus thing meant. When I was 21, I apologized to 43 different people. Do you know how much baggage you release when you apologize to the people you hurt? Y'all, 43, y'all, that thing took me like two months to get through that list of people. But I had to. I, I, knew, I knew God wasn't mad at me. I knew he wasn't mad at me, but I knew that I had seriously hurt people who still harbored offense against me. And if I'm going to claim to follow Jesus, I ought to walk by what Jesus said. And Jesus told me, put your sacrifice down and go to the person you've harmed. So now our, even our understanding of what it means to sin has to be horizontal. Why? Because the vast majority of you love God. And when you miss the mark, you're not trying to harm God. And God knows this. This is why you can simply say, Father, I missed the mark. You know what he's going to say? I know. I got you. Let's keep going. It shifts. Under the new covenant, you are responsible for how your behavior impacts the you beside you. I need you to hear this. Under the new covenant, it's not solely you and God. It's not solely you doing wrong by God. In the new covenant, you are responsible for how your actions affect the you beside you. The reason I say the you beside you because it's so important to humanize those around you. To see them. Listen, y'all, as a pastor, I have realized when people do something crazy, it's not because it just randomly happened. Those people have years of trauma behind it. The reason I lived the way I did is because I had years of trauma behind what I was doing. And so now you, by seeing the person, by, by seeing them as the human being they are, you'll stop judging them and you'll start loving them. Because when you can see the trauma that causes the actions, you stop judging the actions, but restore the trauma. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> and th this is the thing. It's sin, whether it's consensual or not. Oh, man, that's going to hurt some of us, right? Because that, that's the statement. Well, it's consensual. Well, it doesn't matter if it's consensual. It still harms them. It's not about you anymore. 
The behavioral standard for the new covenant is straightforward. If it's not good for them, it's sin. I'm going to say it again. If it's not good for them, it's sin. Y'all, this is a whole different standard. It's a whole different standard. We are to do unto others as our heavenly father through Christ Jesus already did for us. The father did what was best for us when he sent his son to die for us. So now we in turn turn to others to do what's best for them. Y'all, I see, as a pastor, I see a lot of things. And I keep, I keep my mouth quiet about a lot of things. Why? Because I know it's best for you sometimes if I just stay silent. Why? Because I love you and I want you to trust me and I stand by you in these things. And when I can see your, listen, y'all, this is, this is the thing about being open and transparent with people. If you let people see your trauma, they'll let you see theirs. And you can heal trauma when you walk through it together. So the fact of the matter is, it's not about pointing finger and fingers and judging. That's what the Pharisees did. Jesus said, Jesus said, they said, you judge everyone and you judge from a false reality of judgment. And Jesus said, I can judge anyone, but guess what? I don't judge anyone. <laughs> it's a shift of understanding. How do we know what's best? How do we know what love requires? This is the beauty of having the Holy Spirit inside of us. God's Spirit will always nudge us in the direction of kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When in doubt, max those out. You want to know what do I do next? Allow Holy Spirit to produce fruit in you, and when in doubt, max them out. So my, my thing, y'all, fruit is everything for me. Like, if anyone who's ever going to hold a mic up here, I got to see your fruit. Why? Because I've seen people who are really good at talking on Sundays, but really mean to their families on Mondays. So, for those of us who walk by God's Spirit, what He produces in you, when in doubt, Max, you can never show enough kindness. You can never be gentle enough. Listen, I understand American masculinity tells you to be the mean, tough guy, but Paul says this. He says, they'll know you by your gentleness. Wow. And so, you know what my prayer has been this past week for myself? Y'all, I'm prone to anger. I just am. It's in me. Y'all, my whole family has struggled with anger issues on my dad's side. It runs in the DNA. To call it a generational curse, I don't care what you call it. It's a struggle for me. So my whole prayer this week in my prayer journal has been, Father, make me a gentleman. Why? Because I got young babies who I don't want to go through trauma because I was a mean, aggressive father. Lord Jesus. When in doubt, max those out. That's what love requires. That's what following Jesus looks like. That's what's best. Now back to that question. Back to that question. What would happen in the church and ultimately the world if we oriented our lives, our marriages, our friendships, our professional relationships, our finances, our time around this simple but all-encompassing question, what does love require of me? What would happen in this church if our standards shift? If we stopped worrying about how people thought of us or what, what they thought of us or how they saw us and we started focusing on what does love require of me for this person? On a Sunday morning, instead of just sitting and being to ourselves, what if we asked ourselves, what does love require of me this Sunday morning? What if we asked Holy Spirit, show me who's hurting this morning so I can go and love them well? 
Imagine how this church would change. But more than that, imagine how your home will change. Y'all, this has been my governing question for almost two months now. And you know what? It's, it's, it's a really demanding question. Because sometimes at 3 a.m. When, when my little boy Ezra wets himself, I don't always want to wake up at 3 a.m. and change his diaper and then cuddle him back to sleep. Sometimes I'm like, son, seriously, again? Like you wet yourself again? Y'all, last night he wet himself three times. And last night I was like, oh, God, help me, Jesus. I'm about to lose my mind in here. But I had to keep asking myself, what does love require of me as a father? It doesn't stop crying. No, it causes me, son, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. And we call it, why? Because that's what love requires of me as a father. Imagine what your workplace would look like when you release those grudges you've held for a while. When you start building friendships with people you don't talk to because you don't approve of their lifestyle. Because somehow we're perfect. (laughs) Last time I checked, when scripture talks about separation, it means separation from sin, not from people who are sinning. (laughs) How are people going to see Jesus if you don't walk like Jesus? Imagine (laughs) how your marriage can change. I love what Andy Andy Stanley says, a marriage should be a submission contest. Why? Oh, we hate that verse. Oh, wives, submit to your husbands. But it's not saying do everything he ever says. It's, why does it, it even tells you why to submit to your husband. Out of reverence for the Lord. But it even puts the husband at a higher standard. Love your wife as Jesus loved the church and gave his life for her. Whew. I love that. Marriage should be a submission contest. Why? Because that's what love requires of me. <laughs> Maybe we would stop cross-examining the scriptures for loopholes. Maybe we would start examining the scriptures for ways to love better. Can I tell you, that's, that's been my whole shift of understanding. I no longer read the scripture to get some fresh. Listen, y'all, I got a fresh word for you today. No, this, this, is, this is the truth of eternity. This ain't no fresh word. This, is the, this word has existed from the beginning and will exist to the end. Why? Because love is what remains at the end. So I'm not putting forth anything to you except that's always been. I'm maybe just showing you in a different way. And so now when I read the scripture, I don't read the scripture for a fresh word. No. I read the scripture to understand how to love you better, how to love my children better, how to love my wife better. Because if the government came in in, in America and said, you can never have a Bible again, I'd probably be living more like Jesus without it than I do with it. Because sometimes the Bible can become a crutch for us. (laughs) While people... (laughs) would probably, you know, do judge our faith, and, right? People are like, what do you, how do you believe a man came back from the dead? You know, that, that's okay. They'll probably always judge it. But could you imagine if they were critical of what we believed, but jealous of how well we loved each other and amazed by how well we loved them? Y'all, I want people to interact with me one time in their life and remember me for the rest of their life because how I love them. Like, I want to be remembered not as the guy who could preach well, like, what does that even count for anything? Not as the guy who, who had a church over 100 people. What does that count for anything after I die? I want to be known as the guy who loved people so well that when you talk to me, you just felt the love of Christ. So that, that's my whole goal in this life. It's to love so radically that at my funeral, no one talks about how well I preached. No one talks about how well I pastored. But everyone talks about how well I loved. But to love the way Jesus requires of us, we have to break from the old and walk in the new. When we live in the old covenant, our love will always be leverage. Why? Because I'm loving you to get something. 
I'm loving you to earn something. I'm obeying to receive something. That's old covenant love. And love that is leveraged is not true love at all. For us to love this way, we have to break from the old and walk in the new. So my question for you is this. What does love require of you? When you pause for a second and meditate in your life, I, can't, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you face day to day. I don't know your, your anxiety throughout your week or the things you struggle with that cause you to feel depression. I don't know what you're going through. But I want you to pause and think about yourself and ask yourself, what does love require of you? My exhortation for this week for you all, this is my exhortation for you. Whatever the challenges or circumstances you face this week, ask yourself, what does love require of me? I'm telling you, you cannot go wrong. We talked about last week, the only thing that even counts is our faith expressing itself through acts of love. Paul said the only thing that counts, y'all, we talked about the only thing that counts at the end of the day when you lay your head down on your pillow. Who else, who else does this? Am I the only one who thinks, God, did I, was I pleasing today? Did I do, did, was I faithful today to the command of loving my neighbor? So when I lay my head down at night, y'all, I'm constantly thinking of other people. Why? Because I want to know, did I handle that situation well? Did I help them? Did I help them navigate the hard situation they're going through? And so that question I ask myself is, did my faith, did my claim of believing in Jesus work itself out through my actions today? But now when we lay our head down to rest, we ask ourselves, did I do what love required of me today? And if you didn't, it's okay. Recalibrate, recalibrate and shoot again tomorrow. Allow the standard of love, the way of love to guide your actions and reactions. That's my exhortation for you for this week. <laughs> that tonight, this evening, whenever you are resting, everyone knows sometimes you need a Sunday nap, right? You go into that food coma after Sunday lunch. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't play. Some of y'all are like, amen, I'm taking a nap today. When you lay your head down, think to yourself, have I done what love required of me? Will you please stand with me? Is Marcus up there? Marcus, will you pray us out, brother? Father God, we just want to thank you today for the love that you have shown us. The love that you sent your son to Calvary. And he stretched out his arms, Father God, and died for us to showcase what love really is. God, we thank you for that, Father. And because of that, you are worthy of the highest praise. God, we want to thank you for all that you're doing and showing us how to love. Show us each and every day how to love like you, how to be like you, how to walk like you, how to talk like you, Father. Help us show the love that you show. Help us to see people like you, see them through your eyes. And God, I pray and ask today that you will go with each and every person that's in this congregation, Father God. Father, I pray and ask that they go out of this, this sanctuary, that they will leave changed. And the word that went out today landed on good soil and it produces a good harvest. That it didn't just go in one ear and out the other. God, I pray and ask today, Father God, that as these people leave out today, they leave changed. And they impact lives, Father, that they will show people in the workplace, in the marketplace, at home, their neighbors, that they will show them the love of the Father of Jesus Christ. Now, God, I pray and ask today that you will bless this church indeed, Father. Enlarge their territories. Keep your hedge of protection about them. 
Keep them from evil that it harm them not. And let every single thing that they do give you praise, glory, and honor. And the church said, Amen. Amen and amen.